We're going to be in chapter 4 today. It will come up on the screen, but if you want to follow on at home, we're going to be in chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. And this is what it says. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air. And so we will meet with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should not come as a surprise to you like a thief. You are the children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer rough, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Let's pray before Zoe comes and shares the word with us this morning. Father God, we thank you that we have hope. We thank you that we have a hope which surpasses all earthly wisdom and all earthly understanding. And as Zoe comes and she opens up the question today, how can anyone be sure that there is life after death? We pray, Lord God, that we will hear words of hope once again. And Lord, this morning specifically, I want to pray for anyone who would not yet call themselves a Christian and is watching this today. May the words that Zoe speaks, may the words that you speak through Zoe, Lord, penetrate our hearts and cause hope to rise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Zoe, over to you. Good morning. Thank you, Luke. It's good to share and continue in our sermon series that we've been asking if we could ask God one question, what would it be? It's great to have people with us in this building to talk to, but also at home today, my prayer is this would resonate with you wherever you're at. 
We have a challenging question this morning, as Luke has already shared. How can anyone be certain or anyone be sure of life after death? And what I want to caveat this sermon with, what I want to start by saying and make abundantly clear from the beginning, that this question assumes that full certainty in a future unknown to us can be found. And although scripture paints a picture for us of what life after death will look like, and we're gonna unpack those verses we've had read to us, this will require of us trust and faith in the God who offers us life. Someone once wisely said to me, that although we don't know what the future holds, we can trust and know the one who holds the future. And please know today that it's okay to doubt. It's okay to have um, questions, and it's okay not to be filled with 100% certainty all the time. That's what this Summon Sermon series has all been about. It's right that we ask questions. And because, wait for it, I'm going to use the phrase that's been overused in this season, we find ourselves in unprecedented, uncertain times. So right now, more than ever, how can we be filled with certainty about life after death? That's what we're asking this morning. And I'm also aware how personal, how sensitive, and how much of almost a taboo subject death is. Life is fragile. Haven't we become far more accustomed to death over the last few weeks and months? We've been introduced to something as grim as a daily death toll. We've seen figures in our media, in our news, on our social media, about the thousands of deaths that our country and worldwide has seen because of coronavirus. We've been introduced to terms like excess death. And I remember in the early days of lockdown, in the early days of this pandemic, being horrified at 185 deaths in a day. <laughs> Little did I know we were going to go to 900 to thousands. And we are living and witnessing a pandemic of grief as a result. So right now, more than ever, today we ask the question, how can anyone be certain of life after death. My family has experienced again over the last few weeks and months just how fragile life is, as we've had a family member fight for his life with coronavirus. Now, I've shared previously here at church how my dad was diagnosed three years ago with early onset Alzheimer's at the age of 55, after becoming very, very unwell over a number of years. As a result of that, we sold our dairy cows we had a, cre uh, a crazy period of transition of moving. As a family of six, we had five moves in August and one in September. And then we saw my mum become a full-time carer for my dad. And after my dad's health deteriorated in the new year, we reached a crisis point and we saw my dad go to hospital and as a result of that, move into a care home. And in the early days of lockdown, we were anxious about how vulnerable my dad would be. And we learned that there was an outbreak of coronavirus in the neighboring home to the home my dad was living in. And we had a period of two weeks where the home told us they were trying to contain the spread of the virus and they were doing 
all they can, but we were waiting to hear if any symptoms because the two care homes shared staff would develop in my dad's home. And two weeks went by and we prayed and we were worried and we were wondering uh, what would come for us. And then we heard that coronavirus uh, had reached the home my dad was in. And then we were in limbo to see whether he would suffer from the virus or not. The following Monday, we got the call to say that our dad had been tested for coronavirus, that he was experiencing lots of symptoms and was extremely unwell. We processed this news as a family and began to wonder whether this would be dad's moment or not. And we were, all we could do was pray from a distance. And the next morning I was working and I, I answered the phone to a great family friend of ours who rang to tell me about a word that he believed he had for me and my family. He'd had a really vivid dream the night before and he was really emotional on the phone and he wanted to share what he believed God was saying. And he kept repeating these words to me. Your dad's travel documents are all in order. The journey that he's going on is going to be peaceful and it's good. Your dad's travel documents are all in order. The journey that he's going on is going to be good and it's going to be peaceful. And that word for us was a huge comfort. And as I said, we began to wonder whether this was going to be dad's moment or not. And the next day, we received a phone call from a GP to say that our dad's health had deteriorated again quite suddenly and his oxygen levels were extremely low. They asked us whether we wanted to send him to hospital to go on a ventilator and we made the decision for him to experience no more treatment. So the GP said to us as a family, he has 12 to 24 hours to pass away. So off I went home to be together with our family. And that journey home from Plymouth to home was one I will never forget. It was that moment of thoughts of, will you have already passed away before I get home? Am I going to get stopped because traveling wasn't allowed? But I kept hearing those words, his travel documents are all in order. The journey that he's going on will be good and it will be peaceful. My dad is a great man of faith and that brought a great deal of comfort to us as a family. The next few days were quite torturous for us as we had mixed reviews about how he was doing and they called us in to wear full PPE in twos to go and say goodbye to him. So that's what we did as a family. And that evening we got together, we had a meal and we said to each other, will this virus take him or not? We're to self-isolate for 14 days coming into contact with someone who was positive with the disease. And we spoke about that word again, his travel documents are all in order. But we looked at each other and said, we know where he's going, but we don't know the date of movement. And for us, that was quite humorous because to explain the wider story, coming from a farming background, every calf or cattle or member of like cow in your herd would have a passport. So you'd have seven days to register the birth and you had to log in a movement book when uh, the date of birth of an animal the date they moved onto your holding and the date they'd move away from your herd too. And that was one of my jobs to do on our farm, to register this online and to write this down in a movement book. And we looked at each other and said, his travel documents are all in order. We just don't know the date of movement. That was a huge comfort for us. And incredibly, my dad survived the virus. After a few days, he began to eat and drink again 
and things were going in the right direction. And he's still with us today, albeit from a distance, albeit very fragile and very weak. But I share that story this morning because I believe it is possible to have certainty, even in moments of great uncertainty. Our God is a God of comfort, reassurance, and peace, even in the smallest details, even at the end of life. Now, we all have a story of hardship, of pain, of death, and it's this context today that the passage I'm going to unpack for us is written to, that Paul speaks into, that Luke's helpfully read for us. Paul is addressing the Thessalonians who are wrestling evidently with grief. They are full of questions, full of questions all about life after death. And specifically, what happens to those who have died before Jesus comes again, where we will see judgment and the resurrection of believers. And I think this context is really important for us to think about, for us to recognize this morning as I unpack these verses, because you might be left with more questions than answers at the end, and that's okay. More questions about what it looks like, about eschatology, about the end times. But we must remember that Paul is writing to address a people who are in need. And I believe this morning that God is addressing a people, a country, a nation, and a world that is in need. Paul is pastorally addressing those who need to hear, those who need comfort from his response and words to their questions. Because this question that we're asking isn't just a theological question or a philosophical question because it has great pastoral and practical outworkings. And I want us to focus on two points together from these verses that Paul speaks about before I turn to finish um, with the words of Jesus as he brings absolute certainty to the thief on the cross beside him as he says, very truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. But let's look at uh, verse, or sorry, point number one together. And I'm going to unpack a few verses too. Point number one says this, Paul writes about the dead for the sake of the living. As I read those verses that Luke has read to us, I ask the question, why is Paul addressing this? Why is he talking about the dead to an audience that is living? And as I've read this passage and and pointed out already, Paul here is showing his pastoral side, as well as a great missionary that goes around and shares and proclaims the gospel. But he shows us what his motivation for this passage is as we read again verse 13. I'm going to read it again. The words will appear on the screen. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Paul's aim was to comfort the Thessalonians. He wanted to give them knowledge. He wanted to inform them about the future. And why did he want to do that? He wanted it to shape their living now. He wanted it to influence their present, even in the presence of death. 
Paul wrote about the dead for the sake of the living, to shape and influence how they live, to bring comfort and encouragement. And Paul ends these verses, again, we'll think about them and they'll appear on the screen with, therefore, encourage one another with these words to build each other up. It was all about comfort. It was all about encouragement. And our role today is to live with heaven in mind, but to also encourage one another on the journey. Our view of the end times, our view of what life after death looks like, what eternal life with Jesus is all about, should shape our living now. How? Paul expands that we are to live with a hope. Again, if we read more widely in 1 Thessalonians, we see that Paul is focusing and teaching all about the lifestyle of a believer urging them to win the respect of outsiders and to live differently. But what Paul is outlining here is how hope should be a characteristic of a believer. Hope should define us. It should set us apart. Living with a hope should be recognisable and visible to the outsider, as Paul plainly tells us in that verse that those without a faith will have no hope and therefore will have a further reason to grieve. But does Paul tell us uh, that Christians shouldn't grieve the loss of loved ones? Or does, why does Paul use the analogy of sleep as death? I firmly believe that Paul is not saying for one minute that we shouldn't grieve the loss of those we love because we know that Paul writes in Romans that we are to weep with those who weep. Grief is normal. The fear of death is normal. And curiosity for life after death should be anticipated. But we need to remember that some of the Thessalonians had recently been converted from a pagan culture, a culture where death, known as sleep, was associated with the utter lack of hope. Sleep was used as a widespread metaphor for death, and it would have been well known in the community. And Paul uses it here to reassure those who are anxious that death is not the end. It's simply a transition. But we must ask with our question today, how can Paul be so assured of life after death? Why does Paul have a future hope? And let's explore point number two together. And I've entitled it this, Paul's future expectations are grounded in what Jesus has done in the past. Paul's future expectations are grounded in what Jesus has done in the past. Paul is expecting what God and Jesus will do in the future because of what God and Jesus have already done in the past. So this doesn't become optimistic speculation, rather a confident hope. And this is good news for us today, because I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that this isn't optimistic speculation of what might happen after we die, but, but it's confident hope based on historic events that have already happened of Jesus's death and resurrection. Because if we want reassurance about life after death, then we can look at Jesus who overcame death and rose to life 
three days later. He is the resurrection and the life. And we know after studying the I am statements of Jesus that Jesus reassured his disciples by saying he is going to prepare a place for them because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And I want us to look again at 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 14 that says this, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Later on in those verses, Paul concludes that all, whether the dead in Christ who will rise first or those left that will be caught up altogether, all will be with the Lord forever. What does eternity look like? It looks like being with God forever. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait for that day. But what is the alternative? It's being separated from God forever. This has been made possible for us because of what Christ has done. Because of past events, we can have a future hope. Paul reframes death. He paints a picture to the church at Thessalonica that death should be viewed in the light of the ultimate hope for the resurrection. Just as Jesus rose, so will we. Yet we learn by reading on a little bit further that from this passage that the living, that's us today, cannot know the time frame that this will happen. I can confidently say, my dad's travel documents are in order, we just don't know the date of movement. Finally, I just want us to picture Jesus at the point of death. As we think again, as we did at the beginning, how can we have certainty in times that are so uncertain? As we explore point number three, Jesus offers the certainty of eternity. Picture the scene that we read about in Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 43. Two men, both described as criminals, were led out to be crucified next to Jesus. People are standing around shouting insults, offering Jesus wine vinegar on a stick, stating, if you're the king, why don't you save yourself? And one of the criminals, he joined in with this, with the shouting of insults. Aren't you the Messiah? Go on then, save yourself. And the other criminal rebukes him, saying, don't you fear God? We are getting what we deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he boldly said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, very truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. When Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, says very truly I tell you, we need to take notice. Jesus offers the certainty of eternity to a thief at a time of his greatest need, at the point of his death. The thief recognized his wrongdoing, and more importantly, he recognized who Jesus was. He was bold in asking. He said, remember me, Jesus, when you enter your kingdom. And he recognized that Jesus is the only one who could offer the invitation of life, even at the point of death. And without Jesus' intervention, he was destined to death. 
And Jesus was quick to respond with absolute certainty, with no delay. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus's invitation is always life, even at the point of death. So how can anyone be sure of life after death? Our future hope is grounded on what Jesus has done in the past. And Jesus can offer us today certainty of eternity, even in the most uncertain times. And this today should shape how we live. But as I end here today, I really feel the question isn't just how can anyone be sure of life after death? The more deeper question, the more private question, the more personal question that rises to the surface is what is going to happen to me when I die? So I ask today, have you recognised who Jesus is? Are you living with the certainty of eternity? Are your travel documents all in order? And for others of us today who might be answering yes to this, I feel this morning that there's some of us who need that pastoral reassurance of the Father again. Like Paul, who was writing to the Thessalonians, you don't need a theological answer. You need pastoral reassurance. You might be grieving. You might be facing a mountain. You might be filled with doubt. You might have a family member who is fighting a health battle. You might be full of questions. And your reality right now just feels way too uncertain. You are desperate to meet with God. And again, this morning, I want to pray for you. And as we consider how we're going to respond to this message, my prayer is that if you are in need of God again this morning, if you want someone to pray with you, would you be bold enough to get in touch with us? We'd love to meet with you. And as the band begin to, to come back and return to lead us, in response, I want to pray for those this morning who don't have the certainty of eternity. And I want to pray for us who need reassurance from God again, that he knows what we're going through. He is with us and he can offer us complete certainty in times that are so uncertain. So let me pray for us. Father God, we acknowledge this morning that you are good and that you are faithful to your promises. Thank you that our future assurance is based on the past faithfulness of your son Jesus. Thank you that when Paul writes about the dead, it's for us, it's for the sake of the living. Would you help us to walk in the light of the future assurance that we have today? Would we be a people who are filled with hope? And Lord, I pray for those this morning who might be watching or who might be with us, who don't know you yet, who haven't fully given their lives to you, who don't have their travel documents in order, who might not have the certainty of eternity yet. My prayer this morning, would you be bold enough to fully respond to your Lord and Saviour? Would you want to comment saying, I'm in, I'm up for exploring what this faith journey looks like? But also I pray this morning for those of you 
who in our church family today need to know again the pastoral heart of the Father. You need to know again the one who knows your greatest need. Lord, would your spirit be at work in this place and in our homes today, we ask. Consuming fire, would you fan into flames a passion for your name. Lord, we utter, there must be more to life than this. And I thank you that there is. Lord, would we praise you now in response, like we will for the rest of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. So as the band begin to play, let us praise him like we will for eternity. Let's respond boldly if we haven't given our life to Jesus yet. And if we need others to pray with us because you need the pastoral reassurance of the Father again today, be bold enough to ask those who are with you, ask our online pastor, and let's respond by singing, there must be more than this.